0: All right, a little truth bomb for you. Dean Martin is a bum. John Legend is where it's at. All right. Uh, Hey, if this is your first time uh, here, welcome to uh, Life Point Worthington, where we have fun during Christmas. Uh, We're gonna listen to songs like that each week because I think they bring up a a particular theme uh, that we're going to be talking about in this new series that we are uh, in called Love's Pure (laughs) light. But before we jump into that, let me just say this. If this is your first time here with us or uh, you've been checking out LifePoint for a few weeks and maybe interested in knowing what your next step might be and uh, stepping in or finding out more about this community, I'd encourage you to take a moment, take your uh, phone and you can scan that QR code that is on the one of the seats in front of you. You can uh, take just a few moments to fill out a quick form and uh, we will follow up with you later on in the week. Let me Just a side note, if you've done that before and have not got in a response, maybe the last two weeks. We had a bit of a glitch that was going to the wrong email address. That glitch is solved now, so uh, if you're offended, it's Jason's fault, okay? (laughs) Not my fault. No, it's on so both of us, but I encourage you to take a moment, fill out that form. We would love to connect with you. At the very least, we want to hear your story uh, and see how your story fits with what God is doing here uh, at LifePoint Worthington. Let me remind you that part of our vision, what we are praying for at LifePoint Wor- Worthington is that God would entrust to our care 1% of the city of Worthington. That's 1% of uh, the city of Worthington right now who are not followers of Jesus, who are walking uh, in darkness, who would uh, encounter the gospel, and be brought into his marvelous light. Now, what that means is uh, not that we don't care about anything outside of Worthington or we don't care about uh, people who uh, are already followers of Jesus in Worthington, but we believe God has sent us to be a church uh, that engages lost people who do not know their spiritual right hand from their left hand and uh, have a desire to come to know Jesus. We want to be uh, intentional about stepping into that place, and so we would love for you to join us in the work that we believe God has called us to here. <clears throat> all right, as we're getting started, uh, hey, I gotta say, I love that version of Silver Bells. Honestly, that, that one is fun. The old one is just like boring and monotonous, and uh, this, this one's got some pep, and I saw it. I saw you guys, you know, snapping a little bit, moving a little bit while we uh, were listening to that. It has all the accoutrements of a great Christmas song. It has sleigh bells. That's it. <laughs> Uh, but 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 I picked that song uh, to start this morning because I think it captures the mood that we all at least want to feel oh. this time of year. It's just that mood that makes you feel. Even if you can't explain it, like you, you want to have that. And that may not be your song, but every single one of us has a song that kind of gets us in that, that we get that warm, fuzzy feeling, like we're, we're, we're happy, we're, we're excited about uh, Christmas time and uh, whatever that song is for you. I want you to think about that song. It produces something inside of you, doesn't it? Something that's real. But the question that we're exploring in this series is why? Why does this time of year make us feel something? Where does that come from? How does it work? This month we're in the series called Love's Pure Light as we prepare for Christmas, and uh, we're doing something new at LifePoint this year. Each week we are taking a major theme from the biblical storyline that reminds us of what we're actually celebrating. That all of those uh, the the those feels we get around Christmas time they're real, but they actually point to something far more real. They don't just point to this vague notion that something good is happening that we should be kind to other people around us. They point to something real. They are. In a real story of something that really happened last week, we talked about hope saying that uh, if we hope only for things in this world, our hope will certainly end with this world that we need to find our hope in something outside of this world. We said that when we find our hope only in our vertical relationship with Jesus, we are liberated from demanding things from our horizontal relationships with with things and those around us, even those we love, demanding what they cannot possibly provide for us. If you missed that message last week, uh, I'd encourage you to check it out on our website or wherever you get podcasts, because it's going to dovetail with what we're talking about today as we hit this second major theme. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open it? with me to the New Testament book of Colossians. The New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter one. Really, this whole series uh, is just built on Colossians chapter one, Uh, and we are going to be in verses nine through 14 today. If you're having trouble finding Colossians, remember the table of contents in your Bible is your friend, no judgment. Uh, It'll take you right there. Colossians chapter one. Today, we talk about Joy. Talk about joy. And of the four themes that we're going to explore in this series hope, joy, peace, and faith, I think joy is the hardest. I think joy is the hardest one because, well, it's not because it's too esoteric of a topic or too philosophical, and it's not because it's too complicated of a word for us to unpack in a few short moments. I think joy is the hardest theme for us to understand because it is the easiest for us to settle for a cheaper version of it. And there are many, many cheap versions of joy. Many cheap versions of joy. Some of which we can buy into without even realizing that we're doing that. We can think of joy only in terms of happiness and what makes us happy. Response to something good that's happened to us. We can think of joy as pleasure. What philosophers often call hedonism. We spend our lives chasing after that thing that makes us feel good. And yet when we look at Colossians chapter 1. Now, we see that Paul introduces a very, very different idea of joy. It is more than happiness. It is more than pleasure. It is more than euphoria and bliss. What we will see today is that it is the Christmas story itself that makes this kind of joy that Paul talks about accessible, and that the very message of Jesus is and ought to be experienced as good news of great joy for all people. So if you're not there with me yet, Colossians chapter one, I'm going to read this passage, we'll pray and then we'll get started. All right, starting in verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we pause and acknowledge uh, that you are here among us today. remind us that we don't just uh, need to go through the motions as we come into a church building on a Sunday morning, but we are here and have the opportunity to meet with the living God who speaks. And so we pray that you would speak powerfully to us today. We know that this time of year produces very different uh, things in each one of us. We all have a different response to Christmas time. Some of us are uh, just just we're excited. We we feel joyful already. But I pray that you would have a word for us that would help us to fix our joy, uh, locate our joy in the right place. But others of us are walking here uh, today. We just we're absolutely depleted from the things of uh, this last week or maybe a much longer season like, uh, of that, over the last many years, we just feel resigned, tired and done. And so the thought of having a message about joy uh, just makes us want to roll our eyes this morning. I pray that for wherever we are at, Lord, you would have a word for us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, continue to preach to our hearts long after we leave this place. And Lord, we're mindful that right now there are many, many other uh, gospel preaching churches in uh, this area who love Jesus and are meeting now. We pray for them specifically that you uh, would uh, meet them in their time as they gather. Uh, Lord, I pray specifically right now for uh, Grace Church in uh, Sunbury, a new church plant just getting started. Father, thank you for the friendship that uh, I have with their pastor. And uh, Lord, grateful for the work that you're beginning to, to do in this new community just north of us. We pray blessing as they meet today. Um, Lord, that you would enrich their time, that they would uh, encounter you as they sing and pray and teach uh, and love one another well. Lord, we are grateful that uh, there are many other kingdom partnerships here. We pray blessing. We ask that you help us to seek the kingdom here. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. I, uh, I, I want to take a, a moment and have us notice how Paul starts this whole conversation about joy. It's very interesting. Look at me at verse 9 again. He says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be, and then he launches into this whole uh, prayer. I want you to think back with me for a moment to what we talked about last week. Remember, this is written by the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest leaders in the Christian uh, movement who would travel from city to city starting these communities of followers of Jesus that we call churches. Now, what's interesting about the uh, the letter to the Colossian church is that Paul never visited this church. He has only heard about this church. He was, in, uh, in fact, in, under house arrest in prison with one of his fellow co workers, a man named Epaphras, visited him and told him the news about this new church in the city of uh, Colossians which is in modern day Turkey uh, today. And uh, right, Paul didn't start the church. He's never been there. He's heard about it. Uh, so when we, he, when we read these words in verse nine, since we first heard, what he's talking about is, hey, since I first heard of your existence as a community of followers of Jesus. And then, then he shares with us what he has immediately started to do uh, for this new church. And I think it's fascinating Right? He, he, he doesn't say, hey, since we first heard about you, we immediately jumped into a financial funding plan to help you get off the ground. We, we, we immediately started sending you leadership resources and preaching resources and kids materials. We started sending some volunteers who can help you get off the ground. No, 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 th- th- those are all important things. Those are all important things. No, Paul, Paul's immediate and remarkably unceasing response to news of this new church, keep reading verse nine. We have not ceased to pray for you. We've not ceased to pray for you. In other words, we have not stopped coming before God on your behalf, asking that these things that he's about to list, that these things would be increasingly true of you as you continue to share, show, and grow in the love of Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Paul does not know these people. He does not know them at all. He doesn't know the ins and outs of this community. He doesn't know that so-and-so has been fighting with this other person and there's some drama in the community already. He doesn't know that, uh, you know, uh, someone else has got health issues. He doesn't know what specific things they're wrestling with. But as he writes this and prays this, he knows what they need. It's the same thing that every uh, church Needs The same thing that every follower of Jesus needs. And uh, so we can read this specific prayer for the Colossian church and, and know that if Paul were to write, uh, if we you know, discovered First Life Point, uh, an ancient lost letter, right? He would have the same prayer for our church today. Listen, if we were doing a whole series in Colossians, we, we could spend weeks just on this prayer we could spend weeks just on these few verses exploring how rich and deep all of these words are, but because we're on a bit of a time crunch, and I know I'm a little, you know, verbose at, uh, sometimes, uh, it's going to feel a bit more like we are running through the Louvre, you know, that great artisan uh, art museum in Paris, uh, and we're going to glance at masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece, all so that we can get to the Mona Lisa, if even for just a few moments. Look at what he's saying, he's praying for. And remember, this is just as much for our church as it would be for the Colossian church. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy let's just unpack this quickly that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will Meaning that they, they would have both a sense of what God is doing in their lives and what he has called them to do in the world around them. That that they would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding, meaning that they would have a sense of why God is doing what he is doing and the spiritual maturity to process what they are experiencing here and now in this life, that because of their wisdom and understanding, he says he, he prays that they would therefore walk in a manner worthy of the Lord meaning that they would have as their chief aim and goal in this life is to honor Jesus with all that they think, say, and do, and that because of this newfound purpose in life that they would find their faith spills out into the cracks of their, uh, their world, over into their, the works of their hands as they engage in their vocations and their communities, finding that they bear good fruit in every good work and are increasingly strengthened for the task at hand, not because of their own power, but because of God's own glorious might at work inside of them. And he, here it is, all of this, all you praise, all of this so that they would have endurance in all things, patience in all things with joy. Joy. Friends, Paul knows nothing of this community. He doesn't know the ins and outs of their daily uh, struggle, but the mark of the Christian life that he wants them to experience, what he has been praying without ceasing for them, is that they have lives marked by joy. It's the chief expression of their transformed life in Jesus. Joy. (laughs) I get asked sometimes about prayer requests. Pastor, what, what, what can we pray for you for? How can we pray for your church? If you want to know how you can pray for our church, pray Colossians 1, 9 through 11 for our church. Friends, if this is your spiritual home, this is your church family, pray this prayer for our church. It's not for me, it's for us. Pray this prayer. Now to the tricky piece. What does he mean by joy? What does he mean by joy? And just like we talked about last week, joy is one of those words we use all the time, specifically at this time of year. You'll see it on cards, you'll see it on signs, you'll see it on lyrics, and there's nothing wrong with it. It, it is not a meaningless word at all. I mean, we, we all have something in mind when we use the word joy, some, some kind of feeling or experience that we are talking about. The truth is, everybody wants joy. Everybody wants joy, but how we make sense of joy, of what it is and how it works and how we achieve it, profoundly matters for how and if we experience it at all. If we all want it, here's the question, how do we get it? How do you get joy? How do we experience true, real, and lasting joy and not just vaguely sing about it in the month of December? But sometimes, you know, we sing joy to the world and you're like, give me a break. I got tax season coming up. (laughs) How do we get joy? Actually, the way that Paul talks about joy in this passage, I think, is... It's wild when you really stop to think about it. Look at verse 11 again. This is part of his run-on sentence prayer. Paul was not good with grammar, okay? (laughs) Run-on sentence. The very end, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Look at those words right at the end. All endurance and patience. And patience. It doesn't really matter what translation of the New Testament you're reading. You're almost always going to see those two words, endurance and patience. And the, the funny thing is, those, those are not words that we typically associate with joy. Right? They're not. I don't know about you, but like when, when I think of uh, something I need to endure through, it is typically not something I'm looking forward to. Look, like Christmas uh, Eve, December 24th is a Sunday, uh, after the 11 o'clock service here, because remember, we're doing meeting at 9, 30, and 11. After the 11 o'clock service, I'm going to get in a car with, a, I don't even know how old my third son is. He's young. <laughs> but listen, the boy has nothing but hatred in his heart for cars and car seats. And I have a 10-hour car ride with him. And he will scream for every waking moment. And he won't nap. Because I think he hates me. I think that's, (laughs) he'll scream the entire time. That is something I think of like, I gotta endure through that. I can't even put in my headphones, like my noise canceling headphones to drown him out. He's like right behind my head, okay? That's something I have to endure (laughs) through. You see what I mean? Like when we talk about endurance, we don't typically think of, think of things that we enjoy doing. We have to kind of survive. And it's interesting. uh, The same thing happens with patience. If you look at these new word, these two words in the uh, original language of the New Testament, which is Greek and not English, we find that they are very vivid word pictures being described here. To to endure uh, is a word that means to withstand under great pressure. Sometimes it's used in the ancient world outside of the Bible. It's used to describe someone who's preparing for like an Olympic game, the, the amount of pressure that they would have to be under to, uh, to, to, uh, to lift weights and prepare for that. But in the Bible, it almost always has a negative connotation that you are having to endure something evil. In fact, maybe the most helpful way to think about this is uh, kind of a, a, a definition or picture from social theologian, cultural philosopher, and disco icon, Gloria Gaynor, who uh, sung it this way, at first I was afraid, I was petrified kept thinking I could never live without you by my side, but I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong, and I grew strong. I will survive. Right, that that is endurance. That's what Paul's talking about. You look at that word patience you find that it's actually made up of uh, two Greek words that essentially mean long-suffering, meaning you're gonna gonna be in it for a while. And again, these are not words that we typically associate with joy. It's like the antithesis of joy. They do not speak of experiences we tend to have joy through, yet you, you endure through some of the hardest, most painful seasons of your life. Some of you are in that season right now. You are patient through some of the most challenging and frustrating or infuriating seasons of your life. Some of you are there right now. And here comes Paul with this audacity to pray that in those moments, you would have The more time I've spent kind of thinking about this and preparing for this weekend, the more I've started to see that we, we really do have a problem with joy. And it's hard to diagnose because it's, it's more complicated than saying, you know, we, we, choose, uh, we, we choose counterfeit versions of joy. It's more complicated than that, uh, you know, that, that to say we just choose happiness or we confuse joy with, with uh, pleasure and Uh, I I know sometimes you you can find lists on uh, Facebook or social media that tend to compare and contrast what joy is and what happiness is. And and sometimes those can be really helpful. Sometimes it can be helpful. A lot of times I read those things and I'm like, this is just a game of semantics, right? You just chose to define happiness in a really shallow way and then joy all of a sudden looks so much better. But, But I think it's so much more complicated than that. It might be more helpful to think of it this way see we we don't often confuse happiness for joy we tend to settle for happiness before it matures into joy i say that again we tend to settle for happiness before it matures and develops into joy and here's why that matters No matter how you choose to define it, both happiness and joy, they're talking about something we feel, something that feels good, that makes you feel full and, and, and content. It describes something that's going on in our hearts and minds that is connected to something that we are going through and experiencing right now. So for example, you feel happy when you get to spend time with a close friend. You feel happy when you listen to Christmas music, unless you're, you know, A Scrooge, you feel happy when when, when you get the Christmas present that you want. You you experience happiness because of the things in this life. It's a feeling, here's where it gets dangerous, it's a feeling that we want more of, and so we chase it. Over 4,500 years ago, ancient Greek philosophers were writing manuals on how to achieve happiness, We chase after it as an end and of itself and giving ourselves over to, here's a familiar phrase for uh, those of us who've grown up in the States, we give ourselves over to the pursuit of happiness and we will constantly be chasing after things that produce that feeling. We will chase after whatever we think will bring us the most happiness in a given moment and what limit is there on things that can make us happy if at least for a moment? sure, money can't buy you happiness. It can buy you a lot of things that will make you happy for a couple moments. It, It gets even more dangerous in the current moment in time we live in today because as soon as you get sick of that one thing that no longer makes you happy, you can get online and within two hours have something else delivered right to your home that promises to satisfy in the way the other thing failed to. Really, there there are very few things that we are willing to uh, let get in the way of making us feel happy. you can think about it this way. This is not every situation, but uh, if you uh, think about the uh, larger cultural conversation happening right now about cancel culture or cutting off toxic people in your uh, life, certainly there are people who you should maybe build some distance between you and uh, them. But do you see how dangerous it can become if you are the only one who gets to define what makes someone toxic in your life? What becomes the difference between a toxic person and someone who gets in the way of your pursuit of happiness? How can you tell the difference? Isn't the pursuit of happiness ultimately lurking behind every uh, the process of addiction, coming back again and again to the same thing, hoping that it will uh, once again produce that same high uh, you got the first time, not realizing that each hit is going to demand more and more of you and this pursuit of happiness at all costs, you see, is all over the place. It is all over the place. The dominant narrative in our culture today is that you should give yourself to the things that make you happy, that bring pleasure. That and, and, and those are the things that are worth living for. Let me prove it to you. It's all over the place. A few years ago, uh, I was visiting some of my uh, wife's friends down in jo- or family down in Georgia. We we're watching the Super Bowl, and it was one of the games that I just, I didn't care about. Like it didn't matter who won the won the game. I'm I'm watching for the commercials, okay? Um, and one of the commercials came on, and it was for um, it was for a uh, it was a beer commercial for Michelob Ultra. It was a brand new commercial for them. Th- this one still airs uh, today. They had one of those motivational commercials that's trying to inspire people. And uh, it's, it's like, hey, man, you can persevere through hard things. Go, go find the silver lining in whatever situation you're, you're experiencing. Make the best of it. Get after the life that you want to live, right? That, that kind of commercial, right? And the tagline they had uh, for the very end of the commercial was this. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. It's a tagline they still use today. And, and I'm sitting there watching this with my brother-in-law, and you know, I, I know the same thought immediately popped into his mind as popped into my mind. And, and, you know, and I thought, wow, that, that has to be one of the dumbest things I have ever heard. I mean, what a ridiculously awful, bankrupt, ultimately hopeless idea! And it seems pretty obvious on face value that this is absurd. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. I mean, I mean, what 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 in the world is is that actually doing? What does that actually offer somebody? What what what, what does this possibly offer to anybody who is in real seasons of pain and and hardship? What does this offer to your experience with with cancer and death and divorce? A, a, a pain and perhaps messy situation? It's only worth it if you enjoy it? Are you serious? And this flies through my mind, and I hear that line without saying any of this out loud, and I, and I said, man, I gotta write that down. My brother-in-law is like, what, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm gonna use this in a sermon one day, and I wanna destroy this idea in a sermon one day. By God's grace, today is that day. <laughs> You see, the unavoidable truth, the unavoidable truth is that something happens to us in our pursuit of happiness, and it is far more insidious than we realize, because what we discover in our never-ending quest to be happy and always find the silver lining is ultimately an inability to endure through some of the real uh, and hardest seasons of pain in our lives. This is what makes Christmas so unbearable for some people because it feels like you put on a facade that ignores all of what's really happening, that ignores those real seasons that that will come for every single one of us. It's because in the moment, those experiences which we need to endure through that call us to patience, those things that require long suffering, they in themselves do not make us happy. And again, everything else in our cultural moment is saying either avoid that, get away from that, get out of that. You see, we often settle for happiness. We settle and it fades. It doesn't last. The pursuit of happiness, it leaves us powerless. It will inevitably leave us empty. If it's true that it's only worth it when you enjoy it, then you will be left with nothing when the reality of life sits in. But here is where we discover that Paul has something far more than happiness in mind when he talks about joy. It's not necessarily different, but it's a feeling that matures. I would define it this way, joy Joy is pressure-tested happiness. Joy is pressure-tested happiness. In the same way that a a diamond you see is is pressure-tested coal. Joy is pressure-tested happiness. I'm not sure you can easily go through an experience and in real time distinguish in your heart and mind that this is just happiness or this is joy. I don't think we can see that very easily. I think joy is what we are able to look back and see being produced, the impact, the trail, the signs of it in our lives over the long haul because it is ultimately not rooted in the things and situations of this life. Joy, you see, is uh, experienced throughout this life if and only if it is fixed on something outside of this life That means you can still look back and and still have joy through the things that don't make you happy. You can see the long arc of joy, of gospel-created joy in your life, even through those seasons that do not make you happy. You can have joy not because of your cancer, but in and through your cancer. You can have joy not because of your job, but in and through the situation where the rug is ripped out from beneath of you. You can have joy not because of a miscarriage, but through your miscarriage. You can have joy in your longing for a spouse, a, a child, or for anything else you desire, because Christian joy is not tied to the things of this world. It is rooted in, located, and tied to the one who is above this world. And just like we talked about hope uh, last week, if, if our joy is rooted only in the things of this world, it will perish with this world. It will fade if it is rooted in things of this world. It will absolutely fade almost immediately because we we're never meant to find our joy in the things of this world. I'll give you a real-world example of how this is happening right now. We constantly, as followers of Jesus, look to our horizontal relationships to be the basis of our joy. I did this this week. We got some work going on in our in our home and doing a few things, uh, and we, we have a family member who's helping us out with a couple things, and it just frankly, it is not going the way that I wanted it to go, okay? It's, 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 it's stupid. It has to do with vanities in the bathroom. Vanity, right? There you go. <laughs> and I'm talking with Courtney about this problem, who, who my wonderful wife, often the voice of the Holy Spirit, knows what I'm preaching on this week. Right, I'm I'm talking about you know this. Hey, the work's not getting done the way I wanted to get done. Like this, got this problem going on, and I'm I'm starting to like rev up a little bit. Like there's some there's some anger here, and it's starting to come out. And uh, I'm talking about it, and I can see myself and hear myself spiraling. And she's like, "So, how's your joy sermon coming?" And, um, <laughs> thanks, babe. Uh, but she was happening in that moment is I'm looking at this other thing in my life that's about to get worked out, and I'm like, once that happens, the the lie I didn't uh, say out loud, but was actually believing, so once that gets solved, I'll have joy. And because it's not getting worked out, I'm getting angry. And we do this all the time. We look at our horizontal relationships to our things and the people around us and we demand that they be the source of our joy, that you are here to make me happy. How many fights with your spouse are rooted in the idea that that person is supposed to make you happy and they're not doing it right now? And there may be a whole host of other issues in there, but one of the many is that you are looking to your spouse to be your joy. You're looking to your spouse to be something that they could never actually be for you. When we look to our horizontal relationship for joy, we will ultimately uh, find ourselves dried up and washed out because we're never meant to find it there. We find it in our vertical relationship with God. Friends, joy, you see, is at the very center of the Christmas story itself, You may remember the story uh, that we tell and retell year after year uh, in the church the angels who appeared to the shepherds. We just uh, had the Ballards read about this, who proclaim uh, that they have good news of great joy for all people. It's the declaration that in the person and work of Jesus, the one who is God in the flesh, who has stepped down into this world, into our human story, into our experience to live the life we should have but failed to live, to die the death we should have died and yet rose again uh, from the dead with the promise and hope new life for any who would trust in him the promise of the gospel is an ultimate you see final lasting true great joy And so so this is Paul's prayer request, that that we would experience not just happiness, that we wouldn't just settle for pleasure, that we wouldn't settle for bliss, but that we would reject looking for joy in our horizontal relationships and find it squarely in the only place it can be found, in our vertical relationship with God itself. The life Jesus promises us can and ought to be marked by true joy and that does not mean you are happy every moment of every day, but it means you are able to look back over the long course of your life. The, or, the arc of your life is one marked by joy as a follower of Jesus. Do you see why this is so much better than happiness? Monsieur? am you, you, you can have immediate happiness but of the long arc of our stories, joy is so much more sweeter, so much more powerful, something we can experience as we endure, as we are patient. In the gospel, we are liberated from demanding that our circumstances and horizontal relationships make us happy. We find true and lasting joy fixed in our vertical relationship with God and I feel like this is, this is part one of like a seven-part message on joy that I desperately want to preach one day because there's so much more we have to explore. How, did, how does this play out in our hearts and minds when we're in deep seasons of mental health issues? When we encounter uh, the, the, what the scriptures often call the dark night of the soul, what we label as uh, a real depression and sadness and loneliness. How does joy infiltrate in those moments? How does joy play out in the real uh, uh, in, enduring situations of our life? We, we have so much more we could talk about. But the long arc of the Christian story is not, not a moment-by-moment moment happiness. The long arc that we see is that God is able to miraculously produce joy in us, no matter what we encounter. last thing I'll say is this about this pressure-tested happiness. I think it's a helpful way to define joy, because uh, pressure testing takes time. You think of the process of making a diamond it doesn't happen overnight. The pressure testing takes time. Joy does not mean every moment we will be happy. It does, not, it does mean we choose to believe that nothing we experience in this life will be wasted by God, nothing. And even if we can't see it now, joy allows us to hold on to the promise that he is and will work all things for the good of those who love him. Let me close there, we're out of time. Father, uh, we are just so grateful for your kindness to us today. We pray that you'd continue to preach to us long after we leave this place. Some of us, we're we're working through some real questions related to joy. And so maybe our next step after this is to uh, set up a meeting with myself or with uh, Jason just to to process or, or to jump in and talk about this in the authentic community of our life groups. Father, there may be things we continue to wrestle deeply with. Lord, what we see in the Christmas story, what we see in the gospel story, is that we are ultimately liberated from demanding that the situations in our life, the people in our lives, the the circumstances in our lives, the, the things we can attain We're liberated from demanding that they make us happy, that they provide us with joy. The invitation of the gospel is that we can come to you and find that you are able to produce joy in ways that uh, go far beyond what we can imagine. That what we find in you is that the long arc of our stories can be marked by joy because of the person and work of Jesus. That's the Lord, we thank you, we trust you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.